Hey everybody, welcome back. This is Chris Adams with Beyond the Blind Podcast. You can find us on Podbean under BTBN or uh, iTunes is still pending and it's going to be BTBN as well. I expect it to be approved any day now. It's uh, been pending for about 48 hours, so we'll see. Um, Today on the line I've got Colton Thompson and uh, he's from Alabama, North Alabama, out in the mountains. And he's been making calls for about six months. And I noticed his stuff on Call Nuts and really liked the look, the sound, the feel of his stuff as a new call maker. So I decided that he'd be a, a good guy to talk to and a really interesting guy. So I've got him on the line today. How you doing, Colton? Pretty good, man. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. No problem. How are you? Uh, you getting through these Corona times? Yeah, I've, uh, you know, it's been pretty good. We've been, uh, we're able to work from home, so I've been one of the fortunate ones to stay employed and still get a paycheck. Uh, they've, uh, you know, my boss has been nice enough to send us home with some work to do, too. So, uh, you know, no complaints, no complaints at all. So. What do you do, buddy? Uh, I'm a government contractor for uh, on the arsenal here. That's about 45 minutes west of where I'm at. Uh, so nothing, nothing too exciting. Uh, just typical nine to five. Nine to five. And what do you do? Uh, like, uh, is it like military government contract or? Yeah, it is. Yeah, I work with uh, I work with radars. Do radar analysis. Nice. Yeah. Were you in the Navy or the Air Force or something? No, I wasn't. I uh, I got an engineering degree from Alabama. Uh, and then I uh, worked at Birmingham for a little bit, and then I was uh, trying to get to work to Huntsville, um, just because the uh, job market was pretty good. And uh, my brother-in-law was working at a place, and he kind of put a little bit for me, and they went to another, and that kind of got me up this way. Dang um, it, man! Yeah. I'm sorry. Hold on one second, brother. I totally screwed that up and had an alarm go off in the middle of it. Um, yeah, no, that's real annoying. Sorry about that, guys. Um, yeah, we're just going to keep going. So hopefully, I mean, I feel like we could restart, but let's be or, uh, organic and, you know, and original. So you, I'm sorry, continue with where you were at. Uh, that was pretty much it. You know, my, my brother-in-law put a bid in for me, and, uh, you know, it's always who you know. It seems like the more more I work up here, that seems more appropriate. So, um so yeah, um, you know, just kind of moved up here, kind of one thing led to another, and that's kind of how I got to where I'm at right now. So yeah. it sounds it sounds a lot cooler than it is, uh, you know, but it's kind of boring. But it is what it is. I don't mind. <laughs> it's it's all good. I was in the Navy, and that's what I was actually doing in South Mississippi. Is I was uh, we were at a shipyard where our ship was being built, and uh, there's a lot of stuff that. My brother was a radar operator in the Navy as well, and it it was yeah. nothing ever exciting to look at. I'm sure the you know the uh, specifics of it and all the statistics are a lot more entertaining, but it's still it you know it is what it is. Yeah, yeah, you get down in the weeds of it a lot. You don't really have that elevated view of it, and it does get pretty um, tedious, monotonous, and and whatnot but if you can kind of pull yourself out of it a little bit you know you can kind of you, you are doing something pretty cool i guess but you know a lot of the times we're down in the trenches and we don't really see a lot of the 
a lot of cool stuff. So. Yeah, yeah, and I'm sure it can be, uh, you know, a little bit slower and feel monotonous. But at the end of the day, you know, if you're working for the military, you're either detecting stuff coming in or built working on stuff that's, you know, putting warheads on foreheads type stuff. So that's always good. Yeah, we're uh, playing hide and go seek. We're the we're the guy trying to find everybody. So that's, yeah, that's Very a fun cool. spin on it if you want to use that. I like it. So. Um, you're in North Alabama, so, and you already said you went to uh, the University of Alabama. I was going to ask you, Roll Tide or freaking, are we an Auburn fan? Because when I lived down there and we would go out with my buddies, and we're all displaced, you know, down there. There's a few people that were locals. I always told everybody, I was like, oh, if you're ever in the bar and, you know, you're about to get, you know, your butt whooped, just yell out Roll Tide. Somebody's going to jump in and have your back. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty, uh, pretty, pretty accurate. Uh, yeah, I'm a I'm an Alabama fan for sure. I, honestly and truly, I'll probably uh, if any Alabama fans that are out there if they actually listen to this, uh, they'll probably uh, be very very sad. But I don't really even watch football. Um, definitely not an Auburn fan, but I don't even pay attention anymore. You know, you get so inundated with it when you're uh, in Tuscaloosa that I don't know. I kind of got burnt out on it, um, and I had other things I was trying to get doing and focus on. So. Uh, definitely not an Auburn fan. I still still don't like Auburn. Never will. So uh, I'm still true to my colors, at least. <laughs> you know, of course, that's where you're at, and it's more of a you know geographical thing than anything. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, and it helps too when your parents and everybody else in your family is an Alabama fan too. So doesn't really you don't really have a choice. Born into it, I guess. Is there anybody in your family that has uh, gone against the grain? And immediately, I can't think of anybody, no. Uh-uh. And, you know, mom and dad, they they work. Um, they, they're they high school fans. They didn't go to the university. Me and my sister, I think, were the first two to actually go to college. My sister went before I did, and then I did. But, you know, it's kind of funny. I got thinking about it. I guess we went to Alabama because we were Alabama fans. But, you know, it's got a pretty good education system, too. So that'll give the... Uh, That'll give the barters down south of us something to make fun of me about for saying that I went to Alabama because I'm an Alabama fan, but <laughs> that's no. all right. Yeah, no, I mean, pff, Alabama's great, man. I, I loved my time down there, and it's something that, I don't know, it's just the culture is a lot different than even here in Missouri, which isn't far away. It's just, it's different, man. People up here always think that they're in the south when they, they really have no clue. Yeah, well, y'all got, uh, well, you guys got in the SEC here a while back. Uh, so and they've sucked since. Maybe, <laughs> maybe that was the, uh, maybe that kind of changed things for y'all. I don't know. Yeah, well, the, the problem with Missouri is they went to the SEC, but uh, the Missouri's best sport is wrestling. They're one of the best yeah. wrestling schools in the country, which is most definitely not an SEC sport. It's a Big Ten sport. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, I don't know. They get money, though, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a good place to be. I have no complaints where I'm at. I, you know, I love it down here. Uh, the hunting is pretty terrible, waterfowl wise. Uh, you know, turkey hunting's pretty good. Deer hunting's decent. Uh, I don't fish, but you know, obviously Lake Gunnersville on the, is on the backside of my house, basically just down the mountain, and that's where everybody goes to fish in Alabama. Seems like so. It's not too bad. I like it pretty good. Everybody's pretty normal. I think what I think is normal. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty good. We got pretty good down here. 
So you you live in the mountains, grow up in the mountains, and uh, how do you? It's mountains are not known for their their great waterfowl habitat. I know some guys out in Colorado, you know, shoot them way up in the mountains, but uh, here in Missouri, you know, you want to be in the corn, you want to be in the uh, the ag land, and mountains not real great for that. How do yeah. you get into waterfowl, man? No, yeah, so. <laughs> Yeah, Alabama was pretty terrible. There, there's a few spots down here that are that that can produce, but you know everything's got to align just right, you know. Um, and you know, I say the mountains. There's probably people that are up north that live, you know, or out west that live in some actual mountain ranges. We live. I'm on the very, you know, bottom part of the uh, of the mountain chain down here, and you know it. it we call them mountains. I guess they're mountains to us, right? But well, I've been through there, and I've been all over the country from the Midwest through the real mountains, through the East Coast, and that part of Alabama, there's definitely some rocky... Um, it, I would relate it to very much like where I live at in the Ozark Mountains. They call them mountains. They're not really mountains anymore. They're the oldest mountains in America, but uh, they're more of big, giant hills. But then you go yeah. over to Kansas, and they talk about the Flint Hills and stuff like that all the time, and that's just like a normal hill for us, and that's kind of like a big ordeal for them. So there's a lot of flatland out yeah. there. So where you're at is, I would definitely consider it a uh, more mountainous region of the United States, even though it doesn't feel like that skiing-type mountain situation. For sure, yeah, yeah, no doubt. It's, uh, you know, even supposedly i was told by one of my neighbors uh that the we have a cavern that runs under this stretch of road where we're at and so we're i'm i'm, I'm literally on top of uh, of a mountain right now it, it's uh so i will i will call this a mountain but some of the poor portions that i grew up on maybe not so much but yeah the waterfowl uh get back to your original question terrible around here there's uh there's some guys that i hear that you know they they uh you got to pay and play if you want any birds down here pretty much and, you know, i know the guys that are farming for ducks and um which that's you know everywhere but uh especially here though you've got to you've got to have the money you got to have the property um and you got to have the time to be able to you know to pull those birds in so it's pretty bad so anytime that we go to you know anytime i'm able to go to arkansas and get on what you know probably most people would call a subpar hunt you know i'm i'm reeling you know i'm on cloud nine you know i'm pretty excited about it so um i guess if you look at the silver lining of it my standards are pretty low so anytime <laughs> i go to a decent producing place i'm always pretty excited and and uh you know so did yeah you, it's, uh, it's tough down here for sure you got to work for it did you grow up hunting so yeah no <laughs> I did grow up like some. Um, when I was growing up, before sports really started, we did a once a year we did a squirrel hunt with our church that we were members of at the time, and that was once a year. We did that for a while, and then we got old enough, and we had moved congregations, and sports had started at that point. So my dad was always at every game and every practice. Uh, he helped coach a little bit, but he was never too involved. But he was always supportive, supportive of. I'll say he was always involved, but not overly involved, uh, which is good. He's very hands-off. He's, he gives good advice, but, uh, you know, he kind of, 
he would have we would have kept fighting if that was something I wanted to do. But at the time, he was like, hey, if you want to play sports, let's play sports. And so from you know when T ball picked up all the way to to, to I was eighteen, yeah. When I was 18, because that's when I hung up my cleats and my glove and went to college. That portion of my life, I really didn't have a lot of hunting. Uh, so when I graduated, I was like, well, I'm going to need something to do with my spare time because, uh, you know, beforehand I was playing I was playing baseball. Gosh, man, it got to the point where I was just about near year-round. Um, and I, I graduated high school, got to college, and I picked up deer hunting, and that was, that was kind of big when I was going through. Uh, it seemed like a lot of guys were deer hunting, and, 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 and I had always wanted to, just hadn't had the time or the opportunity. And so I picked up deer hunting, and then uh, I worked my way through school and uh, continued deer hunting. And then about the time, probably... I'd say about a year before, which would have been 2015 in college, um, I decided that I was going to start looking for a dog. And I had always grown up with yard dogs, I guess, but we'd always had a few here and there. And, you know, I'd always just enjoyed taking care of dogs. I enjoyed the husbandry part of it. I enjoyed the training part of it. Uh, I always thought that was pretty cool. So at that point, I started reading everything I could about dogs and I had went through and probably did what everybody did with their first uh, dog. You know, it was like, do I need this breed? What do I need? You know, you know, is this this breed's pretty cool. How do I get one of these? Oh, there's only a thousand of them. I wonder how can how can I buy one of those puppies? And, you know, I went through everything and I ended up just saying, you know what, Labradors are pretty good. Um, you know, they're pretty versatile. They can do a, a little bit of everything. Um, and so, I. I started reading about Labradors, reading about retriever training, and then out of the blue, I had a friend that was working at uh, a bomb dog training facility, and he said, hey, we had two dogs tied up that weren't supposed to, and we've got a pup that, or we've got some puppies that we need to, you know, kind of move out of here. Uh, you know, they only want $200 for them. I said, sold. You know, I was, said, you know, when you're in college, you're like, heck yeah, $200, I'm in. That's, that's pretty cheap. Um and so I had gotten him and started doing some training, and, and I was like, you know, this retriever training stuff's pretty fun. What can I do to be able to do more stuff with the dog? And so, it, you know, waterfowling kind of started for me uh, that way. I kind of backed into it. And I was telling you that earlier that I kind of backed into waterfowling in general because it seems like a lot of the guys were like, yeah, I had a dog, and I was hunting. And I had this dog, and I trained it really well, and then we start, you know, then they start doing some gun dog training. Well, I kind of did it in reverse, where I had a dog, and we started doing gun dog training. And then I was like, well, if I'm going to do gun dog training, maybe I should do some, you know, upland hunting or some waterfowling. And so that's what kind of led me into wanting to get in the waterfowl community. And I'm and I'm glad I did. Honestly, uh, it's been probably one of the most most fun things, the most funnest things, most fun. I don't know if that's <laughs> my wife, my wife, when she listens to those letters, she'll probably be mad at me for not getting that right. But uh, it, it's probably been one of the most fun things I've done. Um, funnest, I think, is the easiest. Yeah, it's funnest, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> it's been one of the most enjoyable things. I've there you maybe. go. There that, you go. Yeah, that. Well, we'll, we'll trade words there. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, man, I, 
you know, I got into it. What I think is maybe a backwards way. It may not be. There may be other guys out there, but I think it's, you know, I think it's a little different. Um, I can tell so, you that uh, I grew up doing the same thing as you. I'm a, a huge, huge baseball fan. My favorite team's the Braves. So you being in Northern Alabama, I hope that you're a Braves fan so we can continue and in a, a nice manner, a cordial manner. But uh, I didn't grow up hunting at all. My my dad tried to take me deer hunting as a kid. It's cold. It's boring. I have ADD. Not a fan. And then we went rabbit hunting with beagles. And I absolutely loved it. It's high pace, high energy. So when I uh, you know, became a young man, that's what I got was a beagle. And we started chasing rabbits. And then... Uh, I saw duck hunting and some of my friends were doing different duck hunting stuff. I was like, oh, I'll go try this. And man, I, it's been my life ever since. Yeah, for sure. And that's that's really kind of how it happened, too. I, I, when my first season was 2017 and I had no idea what I was doing. None. None. I had I had read. I mean, you can read and have the knowledge, but until you apply it, you know, that's a, it's a whole different ballgame. So... You know, 2017 rolled around, and that was my first season. It was, I mean, it was tough. We killed a few birds, I'll say that, shockingly enough. But, uh, you know, it was it was rough. And things kind of picked up pretty quickly uh, in 2017. I, I changed jobs, moved up to Huntsville in March. And the the guy that hired me on up here, he, uh, he knew a guy named uh, Greg Hodges, I think a lot of guys, a few guys know who that is. I want to say that he has made a website for call makers. Maybe some of the older call makers would know him because uh, I think he's. I even think the website's still active. Uh, Does, I don't know. But did he make I, THO? What is it? THO forums. Yeah, you know, I don't know, man. It was his, his name's super familiar. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, but anyways, he he had made that. He had made some websites and or made a website for uh, for call makers and stuff like that. And the, the guy that hired me, he said, uh, so you like to duck hunt? And I was like, well, I mean, I, yeah, I, I'd like to hunt more, uh, you know, definitely. And uh, he's like, well, I need you to meet this guy. And, and Greg is a super nice guy, a great guy. And he had said, hey, man, why don't you come to this DU social we've got coming up? And I was like, well, sure, yeah, Duck Unlimited sounds like a good idea. So I went and we had, it was a crawfish bowl, and we had probably, we had a few guys there, and I ended up meeting a guy. Um, oh, oh, let me back up. He set up a lunch before that, and he said, "We got a DU social coming up, and then we've got." He's like, "But I want you to meet some uh, some of the committee uh, members." And I said, "Sure, yeah, that sounds good." So I had lunch with a guy named Elliot and a guy named Will. And Elliot told me he said, "You know, we were talking about hunting stuff, and and." Uh, you know, I was trying to keep pace with them because they were talking about going to Arkansas and how they had these great hunts and stuff like that. I was like, yeah, you know, that's, you know, I, I, I try not to say too much because I didn't want to look too green, but uh, <laughs> sometimes, sometimes you can't hide it. Uh, but uh, Elliot was nice enough to, uh, to invite me over to another call maker's house that was, that's in Huntsville too, a guy named Kerry Sadler. And, um, and Elliot said, hey, we go over there every Thursday night just kind of shoot the bull and you know blow some calls and stuff and you know when i got that invite i thought man i i am the coolest guy in the whole state right now you get to go to a call maker's house i get to blow some calls you know and uh, so i started going over there 
And I would say at that point, that's when call making kind of, I, I would say the seed was planted. You know, up until that point, I still never had, still didn't have any, you know, drive to make a call. Um, you know, I, I got over there and, and Carrie uh, introduced himself. And, you know, if, if you ever meet Carrie, Carrie's, he's hard to miss. He's a, he's a tall guy. Um, you know, he's, he's pretty, he stands out. And, uh, and he makes a, uh, he makes a heavy call. I mean, he does. I mean, it takes some air to blow. Uh, so if you're going to blow it and it sound right, you've got to be able to produce the right air. So, you know, Carrie gave me lessons and helped me out tremendously. Um, you know, over the next several months leading into the 2018 death season. And while I was there, Kerry had won the state calling competition here, uh, I think a few times. And, you know, we were talking about calling competition stuff like that. He was like, well, if you want to get good on a call, he said, you need to do calling competitions. And I was like, man, that sounds pretty, pretty tough. And I got thinking about it. I was like, well, you don't have anything better to do. You might as well try. Um, so, you know, I was at Carrie's and one day I was like, yeah, let's try a competition call. So Carrie's got a competition call, uh, you know, a main street call, I guess that may probably clear a few things up because I know there's a bunch of different competitions out there. And so Carrie was like, here, this is a competition call. This will get you going. Um, and we worked on a routine and kind of started my competition calling journey, I guess you would say. Um, and, you know, at that point, as I started doing more competition, and that was in 2018, as I started doing more competitions, I kind of was like, okay, this is pretty cool. You know, I can I can operate a duck call pretty well now. Um, you know, what's next? And it, and it, and it kind of grew from there, um, you know, as I was with Carrie and stuff like that. Um you know, there was never a time when I was going through, it's like, I'm going to be a call maker. It all just kind of happened, you know, over time. And I got to the point where I was like, it'd be pretty cool to make a call. And, um, you know, so, the, you know, at that point I started, I want to say probably, probably at the end of the year in 2018, I started buying supplies a little bit at a time. And I got really fortunate to meet a guy that was an old pipe maker that had a ton of stuff that he was just getting rid of. He's like, yeah, I'm not going to use it. You can have it for $200. And it was like a lathe. It was a bench. He had a bunch of turning tools. He had some material. He had some uh, some different uh, different tools to go in your headstock and your tailstock. I mean, it was like, it was everything you couldn't need for 200 bucks. I said, man, I'm in. So, um, you know, everything just kind of... <laughs> It just kind of happened, really. I mean, it, there was really no time where I'm like, "Hey, I'm going to be a call maker and and I'm going to start making calls." It was just one thing right after the other. Well, um, and that's what I really, really like about talking to uh, different guys like you and myself, and uh, all the different guys that I've talked to is so many people out there, man. Um, always sit there and say man i wish i could do this i wish i could do that i want to do this i want to do that and nobody ever does anything about it where every single person that makes calls just went out there and did it one day like they're they're the type of guys that just go out there and do it they're like why not me 
why can't I make a call? I can figure it out. It might be a, a piece of junk for a while, but I'll figure it out. And yeah. I really relate so much to guys just like you who, you know, you were like, I've never even blown a duck call. And then a, a year later, you're like, man, I kind of want to get into competition calling. <laughs> you know, yeah. you're just guys that just go out there and do things because that it's very similar to me, man, within going from my first duck hunt to a couple years later i'm filming a freaking duck hunting tv show i never i didn't know anything about tv shows i never filmed one never edited anything i was still green as all could be with hunting but i was like why not i had the opportunity i'm gonna go out and try it right yeah and i mean people miss that a lot i mean you've got the opportunity to do something i mean take it i mean crap you know there's a time uh when i was in college man i had to I had some pretty bad health problems, and I was I was really at a point where I probably could have died. Um, that might be a little too drastic, but I mean, I mean, doctor was like, "Yeah, on a scale of, or you know, top ten cases, yeah, this is this is in my top ten. Yeah, it's like you look pretty bad, and you do when the doctor's telling you that in the in the in the in the hospital, you're like, man, that sucks, you know. So when I got better, and uh, you know, I was like, let's let let's change a few things, you know. Let's let's really just go after some stuff. So. You know, if there's anybody out there who wants to try something, dude, just try it, man. I mean, what's the worst that could happen? You could, you know, be really good at it. I don't know, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Especially with something like this, call making. Well, if you don't make it, all right, sell all of your stuff. What are you out? A few hours and a maybe a couple hundred bucks, like. Right. Yeah, you're you're not gonna get. I mean, really, honestly and truly. If you, about you're not going to get any worse as a caller and you're not going to get any worse knowledge wise if you try it and don't succeed one you know i guarantee if you try to make calls for six months you're going to be able to blow a duck call better and you're going to know how to tune them better you're going to be able to i mean you're going to get something out of it well yeah and it you know it just i don't know it, it relates so much in life to everything you know it's it's my sanctuary man i come out here and that's it's where i spend time and you know, you just you put on the the headphones or something, throw on a podcast, and you just think and you turn, and it it helps decompress from all the stress of the day. For sure, yes, absolutely, man. It's uh, it's pretty nice. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty therapeutic. And you know, there's times when I come out here too, man. I'm like, man, I'm out here making calls. This is pretty good. This is a pretty good life. I mean, I, you really can't ask for anything more. I mean, it's it's pretty simple, but you know, I, I'm enjoying it so far. Um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of young and, um, you know, a little hungry, I guess. Uh, I probably, I get out, I probably stay out here too much, especially if you ask my wife. She probably would like me inside a little bit more. <laughs> well, you have to pay attention. I, uh, right before we started doing this, I kind of let mine know. I was like, hey, I'm going to go out there and, uh, and record this and, uh, I'll probably be done around this time. And she was like, you think around that time? And I was like, you probably better add 30 minutes to it. But yeah, somewhere <laughs> around there. Yeah, my wife says I'm on Indian. I know I had a buddy that tagged me in a post one time. He said he said you're on Indian time, and uh, basically the gist of the post was if I tell you I'm going to be there at three, I'll probably be there between three thirty and six thirty. And I was like, yeah, that's pretty pretty accurate. So my <laughs> wife said on me pretty good. Uh, she's gotten pretty smart. She started cooking. Um, you know, about dinner time. You know, she started cooking and 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 getting me up at the house. Kind of tempted me with the food. So. Uh, <laughs> 
and I was like, yeah, that's a pretty smart move, you know, because I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna turn down a good meal. So well, yeah, uh, and if she's cooking it for you, you can't even like that's a good woman right there. That's right. Yeah, you can't. I can't complain. She's been super supportive of you know of all my ventures that I've got going on. Um, you know, I, I mean, I'm very thankful. It definitely takes a good woman to to be behind you to be able to spend time out in the shop. I think I saw a guy make a post. Here a while back, I think it was uh, maybe Jesse Jefferson. Maybe the one I'm talking about. But he, you know, he's. I think he makes a lot of turkey calls, but he, you know, I think he had mentioned, you know, how much he spends in the shop and how beautiful he is of his wife and how supportive she. It definitely takes a good, a good woman to be behind you to be able to do this because it's not something that you can just, you know, come out here and spend minutes doing and you're done. You know, it, it's uh, it takes a lot of time and uh, a lot of time away from your family. I mean, you, you sacrifice a lot come out here and do it and do it right right or else you're a, a very slow that's what i always tell people when they order for me i'm like yeah i'm very very slow because i do i, I you know if she comes out and checks on me because i'll say oh 10 more minutes or something like that and then it'll be 20 minutes and i just started setting the timer and uh i got to the point that it's like if somebody comes out and checks on me it's like hey i'm done if you came out and checked on me, then all right, you're wondering what I'm doing. It's time for me to be done. Um, I might be going inside to, you know, go to the bathroom or something in the middle of turning something. The kids are like, hey, do you want to do you want to go play RC cars or do this? And say, Absolutely. Hold on. Let me take off, you know, take off the jacket and dust off real quick and let's go play instead. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you've got to. It takes some balance and time and. When you get, when I get the opportunities to stay out here for a long time, I definitely take advantage of them because there's going to be days where you know stuff comes up and you have to cut time short. So it's usually um, sleep that is the biggest. Uh, my, I'm like, oh, I'll just sleep less. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I know. I've been with you know with this quarantine stuff going on and me being home, I'm able to get out here. I don't have to spend time driving to work every day, so that saved me a couple hours of driving. And you know, I'm. You know, as soon as I get my work done in the house, I come straight out here, and then I just stay out here till twelve or twelve thirty. I'm like, well, I don't have to be up too early, so I can kind of you know sleep in. So that's uh, I'm right there with you. I've definitely sacrificed a lot of sleep as of late. <laughs> so you said you got into the competition calling. Um, Do you ever do any contests or anything like that? Yeah. So man, this is a this is a great story, and I and I I keep these recordings. I even have the first I have the first recording on my phone. Uh, me actually blowing it up, calling. I listened to it last night, and I, I do it to keep myself humble because you know, uh, you know, you, you can get kind of too big for your britches sometimes, and you know, I admit that. You know, uh, <laughs> I uh, so the very first thing was let's jump into it. The, the very first competition that I did was. It's the 2018 Alabama State, and there was another one right after it. It was a part of Dixie Regional, I think, is what the name of it is. And the very first competition I did in 2018, you know, I had a routine together, and it was looking back, it wasn't very good. But at the time, I was like, "Hey, this is pretty good." And I go, and first round comes up, and I don't, I don't draw the bullet. Um, I'm like middle of the pack or something, and first round comes up, get up there. I go through my warm-up, nod, here we go, and we're running, and I go through my hell calls, uh, and at the time, I thought they sounded great, um, and I make it, I go to my ducks, and then I transition to my feet call. Well, I'm not a nervous person in general, uh, 
but my body at that moment was like, "Hey, there's 200 people out here." Because we were at the we were at a Tennessee Valley Fishing and Hunting Expo. That's where we do this regional um, every year. And my body was like, "Hey, man, uh, there's like 200 plus people out here. Why don't we get nervous and try to throw up?" So. <laughs> I stopped. Yeah, I stopped in the middle of my feet call. I mean, I mean, I literally stopped right in the middle, turned and walked off the stage and went straight to the bathroom and dry heaved for a few minutes and then got myself together and I went back and did the regional that was right after that. And I think the most proud I've ever been uh, today is when I actually finished my a full routine into the first round in the regional, which it sounded terrible uh but it you know i made it through i made it through my routine didn't make didn't make the first cut but i made it through the routine right so i was pretty excited but you know that that kind of leads into um that little that little piece of my life and at that time that kind of leads into kind of how i learned call making just in general you have to put yourself out there to get that criticism and to get that feedback in order to get better. And if you're scared of criticism, to me, I feel like you're scared to get, you're not scared to get better and you're not saying that, but that's really what you're doing. You're holding yourself back. And so I did those two competitions and, you know, it was pretty embarrassing for me. You know, I had my fiance, or she was my fiance at the time, wife now. She was out in the crowd and I had my dad and I had my nephew out there too. And, you know, and I had a few buddies there that I had, you know, met along the way. And, you know, it's embarrassing for me. And so I went home that day and, I, you know, kind of gathered myself. I was like, you can either be content with where you're at or you can try to go and do more and try to better yourself and make yourself a little bit better. And so I was like, well, hey, I don't have anything better to do. Let's keep blowing a routine. So I think that year I ended up going to seven or eight more contests uh, and even all the way up into the world. Um I didn't make it to the world, but the last chance regional that Friday night, I even, we, me and my dad just drove, we drove out there for that purpose to go out there and to compete in that contest. And I did make the cut, didn't even make it out of the first round there. And, uh, you know, so that first year, we spent a lot of time on the road, hotel rooms. Uh, I mean, I was even going out to Rick's shop uh, at Echo. I went out there a few times to get some lessons to get, uh, to get a, a better competition call because Carrie recommended I go see Rick because his call was a lot better because I told Carrie I wanted to keep doing this. And so 2018 was kind of a bust for, you know, for winning anything, but I did learn a lot. Well, I kept on and took a break there for a little bit during the season. And 2019 rolls around and I pick up my competition call again and I, I go and do a contest in – Mississippi, I think it's the Mississippi Regional down there. I don't remember what the name of it is. Um, I went, I go and do that, make it to the second round, and then I think my call locks up on me, I believe. And of course, I didn't make it to the third round. Um, you know, so at that point, I was pretty frustrated because I had been through. At that point, I would have been probably like nine or ten contests that I had been to, maybe. Yeah, I was pretty frustrating, but um, you know, because I'm, I'm. I'm very overcritical of myself a lot of the times, but, um, you know, my dad was giving me a pretty good pep talk. He was like, no, you can't be too discouraged. It's like, you've only been doing this a year, dude. He's like, you just gotta, you know, you gotta keep pushing yourself and, and keep, you know, keep working at it. You know, if it's worth having, you're going to have to put it in time. And, 
you know, and that was the same stuff that Kerry was telling me. He's like, dude, it's a long road, man. He's like, you can, you know, you can do what you want, but it's a long road. It doesn't matter how you slice it and dice it. It's, it's going to take a while. Um, but the Alabama State rolls around again in 2019, and I go up there, and we've got a, you know, we've got a good group of callers this year. Um, a few guys that I didn't recognize, and uh, first round goes through, and, I, and one of the guys I didn't recognize, I was like, who is this guy? You know, I've never seen him before in my life. Well, he gets up there, and he absolutely blows the back end out of the call. Uh, does a fantastic job. He's a fantastic caller. And I was like, dang, man. I was like, this just keeps getting tougher and tougher. And um, there's another guy there. Uh, his name was Stacy, and he's been calling for years, man. I think he's been calling maybe 10 plus, 15 plus years. I mean, so there's a, you know, there's a good group of callers there. Well, we go through the first round, I blow it clean, and, uh, and they say, all right, we're calling back this many. Uh, and my name was on the list. I was like, sweet. That's 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 pretty cool. Uh, you know, do the same thing the second round. It's like, all right, the final round, we've got this many, and my name was on the list. And I was like, well, dang, that's, that's pretty cool. I was like, you know, it's pretty cool to make it in third place. So I'd already put myself in third place, you know, at that point because it was uh, a guy named Jake Weisner. Stacy Stow and then myself that were blowing in the third round. There may have been another guy. I can't remember. Uh, but it was definitely us three. That we were in the top top three there competing. And we go through the third round, and everybody blows clean. So, you know, at that point, I was like, okay, third place is pretty good, you know, especially <laughs> with the level of callers. And, yeah, I think uh, Jake won it in 17, if I remember correctly. I, I used to live stream contests back in 17 and 18, so I, I remember okay, his name. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I, I didn't know who Jake was. I mean, that's just me not not being in the scene very much, not really knowing who a lot of guys are. And so you know, you know, Jake goes up there and blows a fantastic route. I mean, he's really good. And Stacy too. Stacy, man, he's got some lungs. And so you know, they call out third place and Stacy. And I was like, well, okay, you know, I'm not third place, so I've either got to be second or first. I was like, I know Jake won, so second place is pretty good. And then they say, you know. Jake is the runner-up, and I was first, and I was like, well, crap, dude. I was like, there's no way. Uh, you know, something's got to be wrong, and, <laughs> you know, I, I was just, I was very off-put because, you know, it, you know, I've only been doing it at that point, really. Uh, that was, that was a one-year anniversary, really, for my first contest, so, you know, it was pretty neat for me to be able to do that, uh, but, um, you know, it was really cool because, I mean, then I qualified for Worlds, and then I got to meet more people, uh, so, you know, it's, it's been pretty. Uh, it's it's been pretty cool. Um, well, you you know, it's, you know Mingo, right? Yeah, yeah. So I met Domingo in 2018. I want to say I met him at Final Flight. It was the first time that I met him. They had a bunch of contests one day, and I had met Domingo, and he was. I mean, man, he can do some stuff with a call. But well, you know, he didn't they, win his first contest until about six months before he took second in the world. When he was the runner-up to Phil Green, I did not know that. Yeah, yeah, he uh, he hadn't won his first contest until that year. It was right after Rogers. I think he got cut in Rogers, and then he went over to Missouri, uh, the Missouri Kansas regional up in Kansas City and Cabela's. It's like ten miles apart. They do it on the same weekend. He won that, and then he ended up placing second and freaking. <laughs> he was the runner-up yeah. at Worlds the yeah. same year, you know. So it can happen quick, yeah. and it's crazy, man. Yeah, you're right. And, 
you know, so it was, man, it was, it was pretty cool in that year. So I, you know, I definitely have a lot of work to do calling. I mean, there's still stuff that I would like to learn how to do uh, and notes that I would be able to, I would like to hit, you know, I would like to do some big contests. I mean, that would be a lot of fun. Um, you know, uh, it, it's been pretty cool. Um, you know, there's been a lot of day, a lot of discouraging days. Uh, you know, I, I can remember going back to my apartment at, at the time and first thing I would do, I could grab my call and I'd go down to the park where there nobody, where there wasn't anybody. And then I'd go blow eight or 10 routines. And so, it was a struggle, man, and there were days where, like, man, I just don't want to do this. And I told myself, I was like, well, if you want to do it, if you want to win, you're going to have to come out here and put in, you know, put in time to, you know, learn how to operate this call and, you know, figure out how to be a better caller. Well, man, and that's the thing with uh, with you guys. I, I say you guys because all you competition caller guys I have a lot of respect for because everybody is so, so good. That the the guy who finishes, you know, in last place in Worlds and the guy who wins it is so small. It's more of who messes up the routine versus whose routine is the best. And uh, I remember in 18, that's when I was right, you know, the heaviest. I was live streaming stuff. Phil was about as good as anybody had ever been. You know, everything. He was just, just going out there and just, you could just hear a difference. And every routine that he was blowing, you could just tell, you know, it's his routine. And he got out to that second round, and I think he stuck on the first hail. And immediately, it was like, oh, my gosh, man. Like, he was – him and Logan and Domingo and Ben Burgess, you could just tell a difference between all those guys. And it was like, well, he's done, you know. It's Worlds, and he's done. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it it is – you know, when you get to the top ten, you know, you really – um, man, I've told people before, you know, you get to the top 10, that's really, I mean, crap, it's, it's judges really that at that point, you know, it's what the judges want to hear. I mean, there's not, like you said, there's not much difference between number one and number 10. I mean, you got some really talented guys up there doing some really cool stuff. Um, you know, it's, it is impressive. I hope that I'm able to continue doing it. Um, you know, and, and keep going back, and it's it's a lot of fun. Um, it's really cool. It's a really cool experience. So, were you tinkering with calls right in the middle of it? You you okay? No, you said you started doing it in nineteen. I was gonna say, do you feel like it made you a uh, a better call maker being a competition caller? Yeah, I think it did, and I think that's what streamlined a lot of stuff for me. Um, you know, because I mean, I know that stuff happened quick, but. I think what's helped is the calls that I did that I have bought. Um, you know, I never bought any any you know small shop calls you know before I started, um, and I still, man, I still don't have any small shop calls. I'd like to start collecting. I've seen a lot of really cool stuff out there. I know, me and um, you talked about it. We're going to do a trade at some point. For sure, yeah, 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 and uh, you know, I had always had just you know typical RNT or Echo calls. And I would have just the handful that I have, and I still only own probably crap, maybe eight or maybe eight or nine calls. And um, you know, the calls that I did have, I mean, I couldn't just spend a lot of money because I wasn't making a lot of money at the time, and I was trying to save up for a wedding and all that kind of stuff. But uh, you know, the calls that I did have, 
you know, I took them and I hacked on them, and I, I sanded here, I sanded there, I cut, I cut, I cut, uh, I cut reeds. Um, you know, I even, you know, I, I backboard calls. Uh, you know, I did everything under the sun that I could to mess something up. And you know, so that tinkering with stuff and you know, losing the quack and then getting it back and actually knowing how to present your area on the call, I think that I think those two things have kind of helped me. Uh, you know, progress um, through this call making. Uh, you know, I mean, you definitely, I, I think it's a necessity that you need to know how a call should sound before you are able to make a call, right? Um, so, you know, because sound has always been the most important part of, of a call to me. Um, you know, so I always wanted to, I spent, I spent a lot of time working on sound for, I didn't even worry what a call looked like when I first started. I just wanted to get it. I wanted to get a tin turn. I wanted to drill it. And I wanted to kind of, that's all I cared about. I didn't care what the wood was. I didn't care how it looked. I just wanted to work on the sound. And uh, <coughs> excuse me, but yeah, I mean, back to the original question. I think the competition stuff is definitely. I, I think it definitely helps you. It, it definitely doesn't hurt for sure. Yeah, man, I can definitely uh, definitely see where that would be a huge benefactor. That's why so many guys that have uh, made really, really great calls have all been competition callers and, and world champs. And, uh, you know, I think it's a really good basis. And I didn't even know that you were uh, involved with competition calling. You know, we've just talked here and there. And I've particularly I've just seen your calls and heard sound files and knew I wanted to, wanted to talk with you. So it's really cool to know that you were in it and uh, – I, I, when I was doing that live streaming thing that I was so ingrained in competition calling for six months that I got to know a lot of the guys and it was right when you were getting ready to start. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's been really fun, man. I mean, you know, call making community, even the water fact community in general. Uh oh. You cut yeah, up a little bit. Uh oh. Can you hear me now? Yeah, go ahead. You're perfect now. Okay. Uh, you know, I, call making and even competition calling, uh, and even water hunting in general, even duck hunting, you know, goose hunting, water. You know, it's a pretty good group to be a part of, and that's I think that's something that's been, uh, you know, a bonus coming along and coming into all this green. We've got some guys out there that are jerks, but you know, as a whole, I mean, this has been a really fun thing to be able to do, and there's so much heritage to it. I think that's what kind of keeps me hanging around and keeps me so pumped up about this stuff. Is, I mean, the stories that go along with everything, and the heritage behind and you know, it's just really, I mean, man, it's just cool. Not any other. Uh, sport hunting sports i feel like you know maybe with some of the older school films like that maybe but you know the waterfowl community is just so big and man this is really fun honestly i mean it's cool to meet people and have that connection with somebody and talk to them and um you know i don't know it's it's just it's pretty cool kind of like a brotherhood i guess yeah, I, I feel like it's such a it's like a, a pond almost you know you have your your levels to it like if you just go out there and you duck hunt and you're a weekend hunter, which is 90% of what waterfowl hunters are, just weekend hunters 
and that's great. That's what I started out as. That's probably what you started out as and the most the guys that you know. And then it's like, uh, you know, you start going that once every other week and then you you go out and you get a dog and then you take that another step into it. And then you start tinkering with competition calling and you get another step into it. And then you start making, and then all of a sudden, you know, it's like more and more, you're doing waterfowl stuff year round. And right, uh, yeah. it just becomes a lifestyle almost. Yeah, yeah, and that's something that I, you know, you know, man, that's something that I wanted to be able to do. And I mean, you're right. There is levels. I mean, gosh, man, you can get as far as you want with a status. Man, it's just so cool because you get to meet so many people too. You get to connect with people, and the more you get involved with, it, the cooler the people are. It seems like, um, you know, and there's definitely an end. Well, you know, you definitely want you know you want to try to talk to those guys. I mean, because those guys are knowledge kids and they've been around the game for a long time. It's, you know, but for me, a big drawing factor too, uh, to it too, is just that sense of community and being able to talk to people, uh, develop relationships with people. I love to develop relationships with people, man, and and, and be able to just talk to somebody um, and just tell stories. Um, you know, and, and of course, you know, talk about talk about the gospel with them if you know if that opportunity. Of, you know, arises, you know, it's just, man, I think it's a, I think that's, I think it's just right. You know, I think that's how God intended it, I guess is a good way to say it, the way that the waterfowl community set up. Now, it's not perfect, but it is, uh, it, there's definitely so much camaraderie there that, you know. It's you know, that fellowship you, aspect. Absolutely, man. I mean, I mean, you can go, you've got places, you got stuff like Call of Palooza, you got Real Foot. I mean, man, it's just, I mean, there's stuff like that, and those guys, and, you know, and Brian Phillips lives just down the road from me. Well, I say down the road; he's probably 20 minutes down the road uh, from the house. And you know, he was telling me stories about you know, call to losing real foot and stuff like that, and how everybody just gets there and gets together and has a good time, and 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 it's not it's not a competition, it's not a it's not a stick measuring contest. It, you know, it's uh, you know, it seems like for the most part, you know, each guy's proud of the other guy for what they've accomplished and. You know, you just don't find that a lot. Um, so, you know, it, it's really cool to, you know, have that opportunity or the opportunity to be there to be a part of something like that, you know? Well, and it's like, um, you know, waterfowling is not an individual sport, you know? No, and uh, you would think that an outsider looking in would think, oh, call making, that's just something somebody's doing by themselves. Even that's not an individual sport. We all bounce ideas off each other and, you know grow and learn stuff from each other it's just like you said it's the fellowship yeah right for sure and i've been to brian's house before and and one time and i had met Brian just a few months ago but i've been able to anytime that that i've been and speaks for brian and brian's a great guy he, he you know anytime i have a question about my finishes i mean brian is the finish guy he's got a great finish on the call and I don't do a CA, but you know, you know, the, the sanding process is the same, or any kind of polishing with a buffing wheel or anything like that. He's helped me tremendously with my finish, and that's, you know, I, I give credit to him, and I'm thankful that he was, you know, willing to, um, you know, impart that information on me. And and too, he makes a great call, man. He's got such a classic, clean sound on his calls, man. Ooh, they sound great. Yeah, and that's one of the things that I was most impressed with with your calls, particularly. Is um, you know, just hearing sound files and hearing how guys progress, and like you said, you've only been doing this about six months. And I heard a sound file you posted today, 
and I listened to one uh, two days ago from The Rook. And yeah. dude, it, you can tell you're a competition caller. It just, you know, it you're so far ahead of a lot of people when they first start. Um, so what was like, what was your first call and kind of have you killed, obviously you went out and hunted this year on your call. What was that kind of like going out there in the woods with yours for the first time? And it was pretty cool. It was not the rook. It was the one-off call that I made. Hold on just a second. Yeah, go ahead. Can we pause for just a second? Sorry. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll pause just a second. We'll be right back, and it won't sound like anything to the people listening, so that's even better. All right, so yeah, we're back, and like I said to everybody else, it's not going to sound like anything, but we, we took a little break there in the middle of it. So you were telling me about getting out and hunting the woods with your first one-off call. Yeah, yeah, so it was a uh, it was a, it was a Bacote call, and uh, it, doesn't even, it doesn't even have... Any, it doesn't even look like any of the calls I'm at right now. It was just a one-off call, and I thought, hey, this sounds pretty good. Uh, so it was a pretty fun experience. It was the uh, and uh, that might have been the only call I took with me, and uh, you know, it was fun. It was, it was pretty cool. Uh, was it a J frame or a cut down? Yeah, yeah, it was a J frame. It was just a regular J frame call. Um, I would just when I went on that trip, I was like, I don't, I, I don't care now. I, you know, when I first started blowing and I could blow a cut down, that was the only thing I wanted to blow. And I was like, I don't really care. I was like, I can do everything I need to do in this shape frame. But there are times I'm like, yeah, let's get the let's get the cut down out and let yell at them a little bit. So, um, and I think this next year coming up, I think I'll probably have a cut down on lanyards. Uh, I know I'll have a cut down on my lanyards for sure. So, <laughs> yeah. First. For sure, brother. So you were yeah, you were talking ahead. about how it looked nothing like your calls now. I know you have the bark stick, which that's a cut down call, isn't it? That's correct. Okay, yeah. yeah. And then you have the rook, which is your other your J frame. Yeah. So that's how correct. did? Yeah, that's my J frame. We were talking about it the other day, and how much I was uh, man. I I love the look. Of uh, the rook, I, I like the look of both of them. But the first time I ever saw the rook, and I was like, I really, I sent a message to Channing. I don't know, probably a month ago, and um, I was like, dude, I really like this style call because at first I had to double take to see which side was the insert and which side, like where the barrel and insert start. And I was like, this is different than every other call that I've seen, but I like it. How did you come up with that look? Man, it was completely unintentional. Uh, well, I went in completely unintentional. It was definitely by accident. When I had first named that call, that call Rook, is I've got one of the that I've got coming over um, here soon. Is I'm going to name her Rook. And so I was like, let's go name this call Rook. You know, they may not ever find it. And so. I, I, you know, I said, Rook, it's chess piece, uh, you know, so let's try to make it look like a chess piece. You're breaking up a little bit, brother. Let me, let me move around a little bit, sorry. No, you were good. For about the first 40 minutes of this, you were really, really clean, and then when we took that little break, it got a little squirrely. 
Okay, yeah, the wind's picking up at uh, at my house. That may have something to do with it. Uh, is this better now, though? Yeah, yeah, this is great. Okay, good. Uh, so the, I Googled a few images of a rook, and uh, I found an image that I really liked. So I started trying to incorporate some of the um, features of that chess piece into the call, and I had a few iterations of it, and then one day I was like, well, I need to have somewhere I can put a band on here. So I flattened out one piece of it. And then I was like, well, I still want to have some kind of curve somewhere. So I just put a little curve in there where, you know, that right down there towards the bottom of the barrel. And I was like, but I still want to have something repeatable and classic. And so I turned a call like that. And I was like, that looks pretty good. I think that's what I'm going to ride with. And the only reason I kept it was because I could easily repeat it every time. Um, I mean, because if I was like, well, if I'm going to make more than one, I want to be able to do this um, one consistently and have a consistent size and shape. And two, I kind of want it to be relatively not too difficult to do because you know that kind of wears on you if you got too many if you got too many hips and inverted stuff in there and, and, and all that kind of crap. So yeah, I yeah, just, I definitely agree, man. Yeah, and I picked up a call before too and blew on the blew on the back end of it and I was like, oh, that's not the right end. So uh, <laughs> that's too even, funny. Yeah, even I've done it. So uh yeah, it, it was definitely unintentional, but uh and, and you know my cut downs I kind of struggled with them for a while. I, I wanted to have something that looked different than the rook. I didn't want it to have the same. You know, I wanted to keep some I wanted to go back to the roots there, having that kind of small handle on um on a call but i wanted it to be something that was more comfortable for me and so that's kind of how i ended up with um kind of that rounded stopper and i slimmed down the bottom of the barrel to give it kind of that tapered look that most cut downs have you know from the end of the stopper up to the end of the barrel they kind of taper up and they get bigger as they go so those were some of the elements that i wanted to keep but also have something a little different too yeah, it's something to make it your own because it's you know there's a thousand different versions of a of an ult you know right. that everybody's modified and then people have made their own little tweaks. But yeah, that was the first thing that I really noticed, and then you know obviously a great sound to go with it. So yeah, well I appreciate it. Yeah, it's uh, I, uh, I I started with a flat jig. Um, actually, I started with no jig, and making cork slots was super 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 difficult uh they were never even i know that that's uh, that's insanity dude that sounds like i flat jig everything and that's kind of what i'm known for but that sounds crazy yeah no and i did a flat jig for a long time and i've had that the um the jig that i have now i've only had it for a few weeks and uh and you know honestly i got it back and i think it sounds better than what i sent off so that's always a that's always a plus so yeah yeah it takes man that's my biggest complaint with mine is i i sent channing me and channing talk all the time usually on a daily basis but i uh i sent him a meme a while back like six months ago of uh tom hanks when he's on uh the island what's what's that movie castaway where he's sitting there trying to start a fire over and over and he's talking to wilson that's how i feel sanding and tuning all the time because i flat jig everything yeah, yeah, and you know, and I did, you know, for the when I first started, I was like, well, I'm going to flat jig everything, because I was like, you know, I don't know, I was trying to be too big for my bridges, like I was talking about earlier, 
Uh, and, dude, man, my whole body just started hurting after I got done. And I was like, man, I cannot keep doing this. And, you know, even when you get a call that you like and you get it sent off, there's still some there's still some different things that you can do with that one jig and get a lot of different sounds out of it. That's why I was finally like, hey, I've had this call sitting around for a long time. Um, I think it sounds pretty good. Uh, let's send it off and get a jig back, and then let's go from there. And so, you know, there may be in another few months, I might have another jig. I don't know. But, uh, you know, because I'm always wanting to tinker and mess with stuff. So, you know, it, it, it's, it definitely has its benefits to, to having a jig. The main reason I got it was because I always use an upslope on my on my call so i got tired of staying in the back of the cork notch back there and, and filing it down and, and keeping it consistent so yeah I was like, I, it, it's, I can definitely see mine's not a hundred percent by choice mine is i'm a cheats a cheapskate and uh i'm i tinker too much so it's like yeah. it's like i have this call that i want to go send off to get jigged and it'll sit on my mantle while I'm working on other stuff and I'm like hey man I'm gonna get this one sent off I'm gonna get this one sent off and then a month later I'll pick it up and I'm like mm, I want to make a couple swipes here because I think I could make it better right here and <laughs> I'll just keep doing that and I'm like there's no way I can get this thing sent off to make a jig because I'm still messing with it yeah oh yeah oh yeah and that's that's what I did with with the call that I sent off I had it cut and then it gosh it sat on my tuning table for I mean a few months Probably, well, probably two months. Yeah, probably two months. And I'd pick it up, blow it, sand it a little bit, do a little bit here, sit it back down. And then finally, one day, I was like, let's send it off. Let's get it. Let's see how it sounds. And, you know, we'll go from there. And so it's it's been pretty good. Um, I think I had somebody ask me the other day. They were like, you know, do you worry about getting a consistent sound out of your out of your call off your jig and i was like no not really i was like you know you know i try to be as consistent as possible but i mean you know and most call makers do that even just the little bit that you're off on your backboard or the throat of the call or the end of the tone channel is a little short or a little bit longer or you have a knot in the grain (laughs) yeah right man there's so many things that can go wrong and so i told him i was like really don't worry about it because after i get it off the jig i do everything by ear and uh you know if i think it needs a little bit here then i do that and i think that's what most guys do because i think the guy was worried about his sound being consistent i was like you know i mean you you can get it the only thing you can do is get it as close as you can well Um, yeah and that's that's my thing if if you want it to sound exactly like this call that i made you then just run this call that i made you that's (laughs) that's why i like it if if it's not going to be slightly different, then why do you want a second one? You know, it's kind of like I get wanting different looks and out of different materials, but even two different materials sound completely different sometimes. Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, I mean, man, you know, like I was telling somebody that one day, I said, you can take 10 CNC calls, turn them the exact same. Let's say everything's the same. It's still going to sound different. Yep. Well, that's you, you're a competition caller. So I'm sure yeah. when you went through with Rick and uh, everybody else, Johnny helping tune your call, that you probably blew more than one MVP tone board until you found the one – or not MVP. Oh, my goodness. Echo's – Echo Boss. Whoa, yeah. man. I thought people are not going to be happy about that. But, Watch uh, out now. Blood <laughs> in the water. <laughs> uh, right? Well, yeah. So uh, I'm sure you blew more than one Boss tone board. 
and right. uh, until you found the one that fit you the best. Yeah, I mean, yeah, for sure. And at the time, you know, that goes to that kind of leads into something else too. Um, you know, I mean, Rick really just picked out a call for me. He said, "This one sounds good. This is what you need to blow." Because at the time, I just didn't have the experience that I needed. And that that comes down to you know, people say, "Well, this call doesn't fit me," and I'm like, and I think in, I think in my head, I'm like, okay. Does the call not fit you, or do you, are you not, you know, have you not practiced enough on it to maybe allow the call to fit you? And so, you know, there's a lot of different concepts of that, and, you know, people are like, well, I don't like this call, it doesn't fit me, and that may be 100% true, but usually if you put the time in on the call, you end up loving it, because I hated my competition call, the one that I still blow with, I hated it. I hated it for the longest time, I was like, man, this thing sucks, but... You know, I kept using it, and now I'm pretty fond of it. So Yeah, well, I can tell you that I was talking to uh, Meredith. Mike, I don't know if you've talked to him at all, but uh, when they were at uh, Real Foot this year, they had John Stevens come down, and nobody needs to know, needs to tell anybody how good John Stevens is on a call. You know, he's one of the <laughs> best ever to do it. And uh, I know that he picked up some of the call makers' calls for uh, – you know, to blow the competition because that's how they were doing their call making competition is they were having different callers blow the calls and judges were just listening. And I, he said that he had problems running some guys' calls just because you pick up a call, you have 15 seconds to get used to it, and then you blow a routine for a competition. And he was like, I, you know, it's it's just not enough time to figure out a call. Yeah. You're right. You do have to spend some time with it, and there's calls that I can that I pick up and I can't blow. Um, and it's the same for any guy out there who's you know who's put in a time on a call. You know, it, it, there is a different fit for everybody, but you know there there is a little bit of a learning curve for everything you pick up. Oh yeah, I watched uh, Michael and Will Shelley sitting side by side we were live streaming one of the call making competitions and it was just us three sitting there and they were judging um a call making competition and mike picked up a call and blew it sounded great two seconds later will picks it up and starts blowing it and he can't run the thing because will is used to putting a lot of air to a call he puts a lot of air through his calls and that's how he builds calls and it took, you know, he squawked it a few times, and he's like, oh, man, this thing is, you know, I can't put nearly as much punch into this thing as he likes to put into it. So he had to figure it out. And then after a yeah. couple of minutes, he was running it. But that's the same. People, I don't know, people want to hear different things. And it's like, man, blow this call for a little bit and tell me what you think of it after that. Not the first time you ever blow it. Because... If you if you don't go out there like we do, and you're a competition caller, so that's even more. But I know I blow a call for, God, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes a day. And that doesn't sound like a lot right now, but the average guy doesn't touch his calls from, you know, the end of hunting season to when it starts back up. But you build up that strength and that pressure in your diaphragm, and it takes – I take a lot of air to blow a call. You know, that's just – I like to set mine up to run hard because that's how I blow a call. And I've yeah. had people message me and be like, hey, man, this thing runs a little bit stiff for my like. And I'm like, oh, my bad. Let me loosen it up for you and make it a little bit easier, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, that was something that I struggled with too. Was trying to figure out, uh, you know, how do I want to send my calls out? You know, do I want to tune them easy for somebody, or do I want to, you know? And I kind of settled on. Uh, and somebody told me this, and I was trying to figure out who it was. Uh, um, I think it was Jeremy Hill. Jeremy Hill's down the road from me as well. Or down the road, he's a little bit further away. You know, he had heard that. Um, you know, some guys had, you know, they really want that challenging call to, to be able to kind of grow into. And so that's kind of where I settled on stuff that I sent out. At, at first, I was tuning them a little light. I would get them right where I wanted to, and then I would cut just a little sliver off, blow it. And be like, okay, that's a little too easy for me, but that should be right for the next guy. But I started tuning <laughs> right. them just I started tuning them just for me and then just kicking them out. And, and you know, if anybody has, you know, any comments, you know, they're more than welcome to send it back. I'm going to, I'll fix it for them. I'm not, you know, so. Yeah, absolutely, brother. Well, yeah. I can tell you that you, for being somebody that's only been doing it six months, I really love the way your stuff is going. I, uh, like I said, I'm a fan, and that's why I reached out and wanted to have you on here because you're a young guy. You're going out there doing the right thing. I didn't even know you were a competition caller like we talked about. And uh, I think you're going to be doing really good. Um, everybody's kind of getting into this carving and stuff like that. And I saw you jump into that even too. And yeah. uh, man, I just, I like the the way that your calls are built. I like the shape. I like the look. And uh, I think you're going to be somebody that does really good in the call world and sticks with it for a long time and, you know, doesn't sell everything in two months. So I really appreciate you for coming on here, man. Yeah, man, I appreciate it. You know, I, you know, I was uh, very humbled by the opportunity to come on here, and um, I was glad I was able to, you know, maybe a few people listen to it and let them know where I'm coming from. And um, you know, I was, yeah, I'm super thankful for having, you know, for being on here. It's my first podcast, so I was pretty, I was pretty excited about it. Um, yeah, so it's, uh, you know, I appreciate appreciate the comments and the opportunity to be on here for sure. Absolutely, buddy. Was it uh, a little more relaxed than what you thought? Yeah, man, it was pretty good. I was I was a little hyped up. Uh, you know, my, I was told my wife I was coming out here, and, and she was like, "Oh, are you about to start?" And I was like, "Yeah, just I'm gonna I'm gonna be out in the shop." And uh, and you know, I was you know I was pretty hyped up about it, but you know, a few minutes in, it was pretty good to go. So I I enjoyed the heck out of it. Good man. Well, we will. Uh, I want to reach out to you again in a couple months, and I'm sure we'll talk in between there. But uh, for the podcast sake, I want to. I want to get back together in a couple months and see, you know, what the progression. And uh, hopefully, you get back to competition calling once we get back to normalcy after this coronavirus. But uh, you know, just to see how it's evolved and get ready for the season. Yeah, for sure. That'd be that would be great. Uh, I, you know, I'm ready for the competitions to kind of pick back up myself. So hopefully, hopefully it won't be too or won't be too much longer and <laughs> get get back to normal. Right. Um, where if people want to reach out to you, get a call, listen to a sound file. Where can they uh, they find you at, man? Uh, social media. That's that's all I've got right now. Facebook and Instagram. Uh, you can always add me on Facebook as a friend. I'll you know I'll answer and get back to you as quick as I can. And then I've got a uh, call page on Facebook. It's Thompson Handcrafted Calls. And then I've got the same handle on Instagram as well. So uh, I try to kind of cross post. So usually what you see on Facebook is uh, usually what's on Instagram and vice versa. So beautiful. Uh, that's, 
that's the that's the best way to get at me that's awesome brother well like i said i really appreciate your time tonight and uh i'll let you get back to the wife and the pup and get dinner served and everything like that man yeah sounds good man i appreciate you having me on here all right brother well we'll hear from you soon okay thank you buddy All right, guys, that was Colton Thompson out of Thompson Handcrafted Calls. Like I said, he's only been doing it six months, but I, I personally am a huge fan. I've seen his work on Call Nuts for the last couple of months, and uh, he's doing a great job. I didn't, Like I said, I didn't even know he was a competition caller, but I could definitely tell that he had a lot of skill on a call listening to his sound files. So if uh, you want to check him out, make sure you go ahead and follow his Instagram and check him out on Facebook. I am pretty uh, pumped to grab one of his calls, and uh, hopefully you guys are still following along with us, and you're enjoying the podcast. iTunes, I've been refreshing that thing like four times a day, waiting for this approval to come through. I put it in Monday night, and it said 24 hours to 72 hours, and we are coming up on 60-something, so I'm hoping anytime you will see us on iTunes... And uh, if you're listening to us on Podbean, I really appreciate it. Um, today I went and turned a, a Buckeye Burl call and some black wood. I posted it on my social media on Unstable Calls, the, un, Unstable Calls on Facebook and on Instagram. I think I might do that as a giveaway call to try to get some of you guys following us along. But uh, yeah, I've got all sorts of stuff lined up. More call makers to come in the next few weeks. Um, later on this week, I'm expecting Kyle Robbins to come on and, uh, that'll be a lot of fun. He's another great call maker that, uh, I've been seeing in the last year and he's doing a really great job too. So thank you guys for tuning in and, uh, I hope you have a great night. Thanks.